The uh, South African platinum group metal industry has been in a near decade long downturn as demand shocks and a pessimistic outlook have pushed prices to unsustainably low levels. In addition, concerns exist around the long-term demand for PGMs, especially in the light of changes in the European diesel regulations and as the world shifts more towards electric vehicles. Coronation investment analyst Nicholas Hops has been keeping a very close eye on the market for the past three years, and I've invited him to chat to us today as to why we remain optimistic about both the industry as well as some of the companies, despite all the negative news flow that we've seen. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for having me, Kirshny. You recently wrote an article in which you explained uh, why sentiment towards the sector has been low and that the platinum group metals, and if we break it down, is, is platinum, palladium and rhodium, why are they so important and the extent to which they get used for auto catalytic converters in motor vehicles? Now, for people who are like me, don't pay attention to what's under the hood. Maybe just explain firstly what a catalytic converter does and why PGMs have actually been used for that purpose. So autocatalytic converters are put at the back of a car and they're there to clean up the exhaust gases and other noxious fumes that come out of the back of the vehicle. These fumes are both very harmful to ourselves and the local environment. Their, the emission levels are regulated by governments and we're seeing these government regulations get tighter over time, particularly in the developing world. And we're seeing China now over the next few years, it's going to have the tightest emission standards in the world for light duty vehicles. And 70% of all PGMs are used in these catalytic converters, where they are used to kind of catalyze the various chemical reactions taking place. Now, the big talk that you hear, and especially, you know, someone like Elon Musk gets a lot of airtime, but the big talk is that the electric vehicles are going to take over from a traditional motor vehicles, the combustion engine, and that we're no longer going to have any need or demand for PGMs. And what is your view? Your view differs on this, but maybe walk us through it. Yeah, so I mean, our biggest risk obviously is battery electric vehicles because they have no PGMs inside them. And we kind of see the transition of the, the automotive drivetrain being a, a multi-decade transition to a, to a portfolio of drivetrains away from the single internal combustion engine today to a, a multitude of different drivetrains available for varying uses where they make more sense. So we kind of see the battery electric vehicle in the longer term, a few decades out, being the best option for small, short commuter trips like you would have in a city. But then we see other varying applications such as hybrids, plug-in hybrids, and even fuel cell vehicles for longer term and heavier duty applications. But why is that? Why do you see the EVs being used for short commutes, you know, to work to school, but not for those longer trips, not for the more heavy duty ones? So one of the biggest um, inhibitors to using an EV for those applications is the, the battery, the size of the battery and the cost of the battery at the moment. So batteries at the moment make up a material portion of the cost of the car. And there's many chemical and other reasons why you can't get that down below a certain point. So if you can keep the battery small and the car small, you do overcome a lot of the infrastructural and other challenges that using a battery electric vehicle would bring for further range applications. So, I mean, one of the key things is range anxiety, which we have at the moment, which basically means when am I going to run out of battery? Is the 200 kilometers it says really 200 kilometers or is it perhaps 150? At the moment, certainly infrastructure is a problem where you need to have a wide array of charging networks in order to support a, a big fleet of battery electric vehicles. And currently it takes a substantial period of time to charge your car. And it, that does bring in a lot of 
difficulties as to using your car in everyday life. Now, when I'm visiting London, I often walk past cars where we see them on the charger getting charged. Uh, I'm uh, skeptical about whether both the car and the charger would still be in place in the morning in South Africa. But what is the sort of charge time that you're looking at for a smaller car? So if you look at the BMW i3, which is one of the most popular smaller models today, that charge time in your home can be anything up to 10 hours, which means you you really have to plan your trips and your life if that's how it's going to be done. I mean, you can bring that down by using a fast charger, but those have to be specially installed. I mean, you can't exactly have that at home, and that obviously comes at further prohibitive cost as well. So talk to me about why we think this is an evolutionary shift. You talk about a multi-decade project. You talk about the fact that there's going to be several different drive chains, electric vehicles on the one hand for the smaller short commute. Just talk to me about why and how you see that unpacking. So we definitely see all of the current hurdles to BEV adoption being overcome over, over a long period of time. And While that is going through and while those cars are being pushed on the consumer by governments, we kind of see the hybrids as a viable option to both meet the um, emissions regulations that are being set out by governments, but also to familiarize yourself as the consumer with the car. So I've known my whole life only internal combustion engines. Maybe I'm not going to go and spend all of my money on a a new battery electric vehicle. Well, you're still young, so you're open to (laughs) changing your mind. Yeah, perhaps perhaps the millennials, but then for the the youngsters, it's expensive. Electric vehicles are expensive. So so you kind of look at a hybrid as something that's in between the two, familiarize yourself with the technology. And also from the government's point of view, you are able to kind of hit those emissions levels that you want to hit in order to make the cities a cleaner place. So, so our base case is that PGMs will still be around for some time, but that we do see demand actually increasing. Yes. So we take all of our expectations for electric vehicles and kind of a a moving sales mix of cars going forward. I mean, we're kind of looking at what we think could be 19% of new car sales by 2030 being battery electric vehicles. And when we take that into account, along with loadings of PGMs on existing vehicles, we kind of see an 11% increase in 3E PGM demand by 2030. And a lot of the market rhetoric out there because of people forecasting far greater electric vehicle penetration numbers than ourselves, they're talking actually declining demand. And also people are fairly negative on one or two of the other elements of PGM demand as well, and we would be less so. And I mean, sort of the level of EV penetration, is that a South African figure or is that a figure globally? No, so the 19% is global. That number would be about one to one and a half percent today for 2018. So that's of all light duty vehicles. And even within that, it varies very materially between regions. So you have a country like China, which is aggressively pushing battery electric vehicles as well as tightening emission legislations. And they would win that 19% be far higher. And then you have other regions where obviously it's more poorer developing regions and they're not able to kind of afford the subsidies to grow the market, they would be far lower within that. So maybe let's just talk about South Africa's transition towards the electric vehicles, the trends that you're seeing globally. How do you see it play out for us? I mean, we do have challenges. We don't have a huge amount of public transport infrastructure. Um, we do have safety concerns and, and issues and still long distances that one needs to travel between various destinations. So how do you see this evolving? Yeah, I mean, certainly it anchors off the last point you made there being the long distances. When we see the battery electric vehicles being far better suited for short distance travel, and I think that's something that regulators must take into account as well. I mean, it would be quite hard to 
incentivize and push these products when actually when you look at the use that they're going to be put to, it doesn't actually make sense for the consumer. So at the moment, there's not much movement from the government. But what we have seen is one or two of the car manufacturers putting programs in. So we're seeing Jaguar have announced a charging network which goes up the N1, up the N2 and down into the garden route. So if you buy yourself a Jaguar F-Type or the electronic version, then you can see yourself driving up and down there. And out of the three metals, which do you see attracting the most demand or does it matter? So we see palladium attracting the most demand over the next five to 10 years. But then again, it doesn't matter because there is excess demand for palladium versus the metal that's available in the ground to come out. And we see platinum as the next available substitute for that. I mean, all the research that we've done, the people we've consulted leads us to believe that the two are entirely fungible. So we think you can take one gram of palladium out of a car and swap it with platinum. And currently for the equipment manufacturers, that, that will be done both. It has a financial incentive to it because it's about a $200 plus an ounce premium that palladium has over platinum. And in two, three years time, we actually think there's going to be serious availability issues of palladium. So platinum would provide a viable substitute. And let's take it in the context of our portfolios, you know, so drilling down into our portfolios, especially our South African portfolios, we hold two of the shares. And talk me through how you've unpacked the investment take. So basically taken the demand for PGMs and unpacked it into the investment case for these two shares and why these two shares end up in the portfolio and not some of the others. So, I mean, the two shares that we've selected, we choose to mitigate against one of the other reasons that people are negative on the sector. And that would be that in the past, and certainly today still to some degree, there's a large element of very deep, very high labor component, high cost ounces out there in the market. And a lot of people point to that and say, well, that's the whole sector. And what we've done is, you know, we've been able to select Northern and Amplats, who have two very high quality mines in Boysendal and Mahalakwena, two unique assets in the South African industry and two assets which we believe can grow materially from today's level of production at both a high margin and a high cash flow component to the company. In terms of how compelling the valuations actually seem, I mean, do you want to run me through understanding the two mines, but when we look at whether it's upside, whether what they're trading on at the moment, these have been hit quite firmly. What sort of levels have we brought them into the portfolio at? We've seen over the last 12 months, kind of the PGM revenue basket for these producers increase between 30 and 40%. And I think Northern over that time is flat and Amplats is, is up to a degree. And on today's prices, which we still believe to be low, given the fundamental attractiveness of the PGM markets, where I mean, we're kind of seeing these businesses trade on less than 10 times PEs for the next one or two years. And both of the businesses, Northern and Amplats, over the next three, four, five years are going to grow production materially from these high quality mines. So if we take Boysendal at Northern, it's responsible for nearly doubling total group production over the next five years. And the Boysendal mine, the attractiveness of it is that it's a straight decline from the surface. You don't have to go down in the shaft and it's highly mechanizable. And then when we look at Amplats and Mahalakwena mine, that's an open pit PGM mine. It's the only type in the world of that quality and there's massive expansion potential at that mine and we believe it's something they will pursue and that will certainly add value to the company and to shareholders. Now, 
Why have the equity prices been still lagging the improvements in the basket? We just think the negativity towards the sector is so great, whether it's negativity towards future metal demand or to the quality of the asset base that I mentioned earlier with the deep mines with the high labor component. And we think that people are actually ignoring the cash flow that these miners are making today, let alone in a time in the future when we think they should be earning far higher margins than they are. So it's, it's a good opportunity for those who are prepared to look through all of the short-term negativity that we're seeing in the market news flow at the moment. Absolutely. So if you were to give us a quick punchy summary, reasons why we remain bullish on the PGM sector and why we think that the evolution to a portfolio or basket of different drivetrains, which includes EV and hybrids, will be a multi-decade long move. Yeah, so, I mean, so when we take our transition towards that period into account. I mean, we still see very strong growth in global catalyzed vehicle sales over the next 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, that's kind of taking into account the hybridization and electrification of the drivetrain and also trying to incorporate a degree of what's called mobility as a service, which is essentially using services like Uber instead of owning your car. So we still see a very positive outlook for vehicle sales. And I mean, we're really seeing the driving of this being done from the emerging markets. Markets. You see places like China, Southeast Asia and India. That's a very strong driver of car sales going forward. And within that, then we also see uh, massive environmental tightening. So that was what I discussed earlier, trying to reduce those emission levels within the vehicle. And we're seeing this being driven from the developed and the developing worlds, particularly by China. And then the third point is that demand for these metals today is greater than supply and, and that's causing fundamental deficits in the market. And over the next five years plus, we actually see those deficits widening and the situation getting more dire for those who are trying to purchase the metals. So when we combine all of these into the case where we're now looking at the companies and even at today's prices, they're making good money. We think when you look at all of those kind of attractive fundamentals of the market, the money they're going to make in the future and the benefits that we'll have to shareholders is going to be substantial. Thanks very much for joining me today, Nick. For those of you who are interested in reading the full article, you can find that on our website and stay in tune for more discussions like these in our series of podcasts, which are all available on the Coronation website, or you can subscribe to them on iTunes.